Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, and welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Today, we discuss back pain, episodic, recurrent, and chronic. We will explore some of the myths and the barriers and discuss insights and treatments. Back pain is one of the commonest health problems seen in the office and surely the most common source of pain outside of dentistry. The cost is staggering several billion dollars. At least three quarters of us will experience lower back pain at some point in our lives. Now, there are multiple causes of back pain and a plethora of treatments depending on the cause. Tens of millions live with lower back pain together with the impairment that it brings in terms of loss of range of motion and stiffness. As it is part of our so-called axial skeleton, a core structure, this impairment more often results in disability or an inability to work one's job, far more frequently than pain in other body parts. Our guest is Dr. Carl Zars, who has appeared on the show before when he spoke about chronic pain and how to empower oneself. A brief bio follows. Dr. Carl Zars is the owner of the Idaho Spine and Pain Management uh, Empowering Solutions and Immune X2, and he's a double board certified physician in anesthesia and the American Board of Interventional Pain Physicians for Advanced Interventional Techniques. He's also a regenerative medicine specialist. He's best known for empowering men and women over 40 years of age by teaching them to age with power, especially when living with chronic injury or pain. Dr. Z's passion is helping his patients outmaneuver aging and helping them to quote unquote, flip the chronic injury script. Whether one is a long, lifelong uh, athlete or someone needing help turning back the clock, this is for you. Dr. Z breaks down the science to show you simple at-home tools and techniques to help get you sleeping, stretching, strengthening, and energized, as well as the easiest ways to further build your immunity, muscle, and recovery via supplements, superfoods, and more. Dr. Z practices at the Idaho Spine and Pain Clinic and is the developer of Immunex 2, a strategic supplement and enhanced X4, an organic concentrated superfood nutritional powder. Dr. Z, welcome to HealthScape. Good to have you back. Thank you, Dr. Campbell. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, now, back pain, obviously a very common disorder. And as they say, back uh, someone having back pain in the family, it's so pervasive that uh, um, in, in, in what happens and the changes that are made, it's almost the whole family with back pain. With a vi wide variety of treatments and interventions, tell us about the difficulties of or the barriers to treatment, please. Well, um, you know, there's 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 a lot of myths out there. Um, I, I think that probably one of the biggest challenges that I run into when it comes to back pain is many people treat it uh, sort of sort of like a uh, maybe other joints, say a knee joint or a shoulder joint, and they rely very heavily on imaging or MRI. And so, oftentimes, people will get sort of pulled down the rabbit hole of seeing you know two pages of of uh of explanation on the results of their mri and and many of these things are normal changes that happen with age so i think that's probably one of the biggest barriers i face is getting patients to focus more on the symptoms and not necessarily what imaging would show uh and, and kind of get get their head around how they can manage it themselves and, and really educating them on the process as well yeah, that's always been in family practice as well, telling people that if one did were to do random MRIs of people of the street not complaining of back pain, so many of them over a certain age 
will have sometimes fairly substantial changes, will often have substantial changes. I agree, that is a big one. It's very hard for patients to overcome the fact that, um, but why are they not correcting that specific uh, um, uh, lesion or abnormality? And the only thing one can really say, I guess, is these are shadows. We treat patients and these are the shadows that come with the we, the um, imaging. So that yeah. certainly, I agree, is a huge one. Um, anything else? Well, the other thing is getting people to really accept that managing back pain is sort of a lifelong endeavor for really anybody that ages beyond 40. You know, I remind people all the time that for thousands of years, uh, we were running around with saber-toothed tigers and all kinds of things, and people died very young. So they, there really wasn't um, a, a push evolutionarily to have the spine uh, be asymptomatic up until you're 70 or 80 years old. And so right. once you get over 30 and into 40, we all have normal degenerative changes that happen. And these are things that are manageable, but it, it requires a proactive approach. So meaning patients, uh, everybody, you know, I, I get, I'll get a lot of patients. Well, how long do I have to do this physical therapy and this core strengthening and the stretching? And I tell them forever, like for the rest of your life, this is something that you have to integrate in your life. And right. for a lot of people, they sort of look at it as a, as a curse of some sort. And, and, and it's a challenge to just, you know, encourage them. This is normal. This is normal fitness for people over 30 yeah. and it's manageable. And then, you know, the next step is educating them on how they should manage their back pain, you know, first by explaining sort of the anatomy behind the spine and then extrapolating from there so that they have an understanding of what sort of things they need to engage in on a regular basis. Right. Now, it, it is definitely a maintenance thing. I, I like your point about the evolution. There wasn't an imperative, right, because we just didn't get to that age. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Yeah, it's certainly... Um, it's certainly a, a very important uh, factor, even how you sit. And I mean, if you think about it, it's it's only really the last 10, correct me if you think it's more, but where suddenly we became aware of the fact that sitting is, um, is, is not that great for you either in an office job, even to the point where they equated the life expectancy difference in terms of so many packs of, of cigarettes. Um, yes. You know, and I thought, well, where was that when I qualified? People thought, you know, you had a cushy job. If you had an office job, you at least weren't roofing at 55 or something like that. But it's right. any posture, obviously, prolonged is, is a problem. So with all these treatments that, um, that the people are faced with, obviously, some are clearly surgical or there's very specific treatments. But there's also a big need when you look at the um, prevalence of back pain. So we hear about insoles and all that kind of thing, mattress. And mm -hmm. what, what, um, what are some of the problems that treatments may represent, the ones you feel are important to be addressed? Uh, do you mean what sort of problems come with treatments, or do or the, you... the problems? The, the problems of of so many treatments. Um, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. So uh, I think the biggest problem is that um, there's a very much of a fix-it mentality uh, in the world. And when it comes to back pain, oftentimes people say to themselves, I want this fixed. And what I see is a, is a definite more of an urgency and a push towards getting surgical intervention as opposed to managing it non-surgically. And oftentimes, I have to admit, you know, the surgical specialist will will present it to the patient as, well, we can try to band-aid it with some physical therapy and injections or we can fix it. It's up to you. And any reasonable person would say, well, let's fix this. I don't want to put a band-aid on it. I want to fix yeah. it. Um, but there's problems that come with back surgery. There's uniqueness to back surgery that is not unique to, uh, that is different from other kinds of surgery. So the, the first thing uh, that I see is scarring that can happen. So let's let's say you go in for a simple discectomy. Um, even the perfect surgery uh, afterwards can cause scarring that can actually entrap the nerve root uh, after you remove, let's say, that small disc. So I, I have a lot of patients who go in for a simple discectomy. They end up having scarring that entraps the nerve root. 
And then from there, every time they lift their leg or they extend their leg, that nerve root is tethered in place instead of sliding the way it normally should. And they develop chronic nerve pain. It's called post-laminectomy syndrome. And there's really nothing besides something called a spinal cord stimulator. There's not a lot of options for that person to help them with that. Um, The other big surgery is fusion fusion surgery. Now, Mm -hmm. the United States, fusion surgery is, is performed much more than it is around the world. But the issue with a fusion is that you take two segments that were previously mobile and previously deflect forces across it. Now you make it static in place. And what that does is it predisposes the patient to what we call adjacent level disease. And that's a process where they get breakdown above and below that level at a much faster rate than they otherwise would, which then in turn often leads to more surgery. And now you're extending from a one level fusion to maybe a two or three level. Um, And then you have all the issues of recurrent scarring and downtime, et cetera. So when it comes to back pain, there are clear surgical indications, uh, but they're very clear and they're, they're unique and straight back pain, chronic back pain is, is really not one of them. And unfortunately, a lot of people turn to fusion surgery for that. And it puts them in a downward spiral and causes an enormous amount of disability and 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 suffering amongst patients. So, you know, for me, I'm always trying to convince them that, you know, managing your back pain is not a problem. It's part of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the things that we can do to, to manage it. And, you know, if we need to go the surgical route because you have nerve root compression or entrapment or instability, then, then we know we have to go that route. But it is worth an individual's time to understand their back pain and manage it for non-surgically for as long as they can. It really is. Yeah. Uh, just for the for the listeners, a discectomy is when there's a problem with the, the disc between the vertebral bodies. Uh, there's herniation or bulging and so forth, putting pressure. I, I just thought I'd, I'd add that. Um, yeah. The other thing is, uh, Dr. Z, is, uh, of course, with the surgery, it's not, it's very often more, the mobility that gets improved rather than the pain per se. Would you agree? Uh, you mean the mobility that they get improved mobility after surgery no. or? Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, it's, it, well, taking pressure off, you know, it's with, of the nerve and that, but sure. very often sure. I, I see, you know, what the um, sort of caveats and given by the surgeon that back pain may actually not improve at all. So. Yes. I'm not sure of the exact uh, figures, what, what, who improves or what percentage, but very often patients are dissatisfied, even though they've signed the consent that their back pain has not improved. Yes. I, I hear that all the time. I, I have patients that'll, you know, come to me after surgery and they'll say, you know, I was bad before, but I, my back pain isn't better. It's worse. Um, and I probably wish I didn't have that surgery. And, and that's an unfortunate conversation to have. Now, if you have clear nerve root impingement, which, which is where, you know, it's either settled, uh, the disc has settled to the point that it's pinching the nerve mm. or there is a disc herniation. There's a fragment that is compressing the nerve. That's a very specific situation that usually requires surgical intervention. And, and it's not confusing. I mean, the, the pain goes down the back of the leg on the outside of the calf, right into the foot. It's burning. It's searing. Uh, often it comes with weakness uh, where they can't lift their toe or they can't stand on their foot. They can't push off anymore. That's a clear indication that you need to get some a, a decompressive procedure done for that. Uh, but the patients that have that condition, there's not a lot of confusion. I mean, they can tell you where yeah. that nerve starts yeah. and where it travels, and you know exactly where it is. Uh, no, um, think so it, yeah, it's very, it's very clear. So for anybody that has anything less than that, you probably have a non-surgical type situation that would respond well to ongoing management that, that is largely done by the patient. Yeah. And, and, and especially with serial, you know, some people have had several back operations and I mean, there have been cases and I've seen a few in general practice where it led to, you know, a paraplegia even in extreme cases. Yes. Serial scarring that was set in motion, by, but sometimes it's four. You don't see so many of those multiple operations anymore, I find. Um, as, as back pain is often episodic and recurrent, as we've said, 
Um, what is the what is the kind of due diligence that people who have this should adopt? Now, here I'm talking about the more common or garden musculoskeletal non-specific back pain, not a yes. complicated one, you know, with localized pathology or or anything like that. The non-specific. There's so many. There's so many different names for these conditions, but right. I like the non-specific back pain. So everybody should do everything they can to have the, the lowest body mass that they can, the, the lean body mass, the lowest body weight possible. And I get a lot of eye rolling when I bring that up with my patients, you know, they, they quickly want to move on to, well, what's my second choice? And then I come back and go, well, let's get back to this because the physics is just, it's astounding that that downward pressure on your spine, you know, you have to think about it when, you know, when it comes to the forces on your body, you really want most of the forces to be supported by your musculature. And you don't want a lot of it to be supported by the skeletal structures, which would be the joints and the discs. But when somebody's really obese, their, their body just can't maintain a muscular tone to support all that weight. And so all that force is distributed to the discs and the joints of the low back. So it, it has a tremendous effect on causing nonspecific back pain that ends up becoming chronic. And so if I can get people to buy into that, that's the first big step. I get a lot of people that say, man, I lost 30 pounds. I can't believe how much I feel, how, how much better I feel. Right. And, you know, I try to, to get them to tell others about that. Uh, the second is you have to engage in regular core strengthening and paraspinal muscle type uh, exercises. And I'm not talking about deadlifts. We're not talking about running 20 miles. We're talking about some very controlled, um, you know, exercises that any therapist or any individual could just look up on Google and engage in on a regular basis. And again, the reason for that is you want to imagine that, you know, how do I support my spine? And, and if you can get that core firm and tone, it acts like a corset around your midsection. So it's literally squeezing together mm -hmm and helping offload that pressure, that downward pressure that often exacerbates a lot of, of pain conditions in the spine. And then the, the last one is you've got to engage in regular flexibility uh, of your hamstrings, your low back, your quads. You've got to keep those muscles soft and supple as well as strong because over time, if you don't, that excessive tone in the hamstrings often tilts the pelvis in an awkward way, which then puts more... Right pressure on the spine. Uh, or if your paraspinal musculature is too tight, you, it gets, you get an exaggerated curve in your low back or what we call lordosis, and that can exacerbate uh, some of those issues. So the, the big three by far is lean body mass, keep your weight down, commit to engaging in a regular exercise routine that you can stick to, and then never don't, don't forget about the flexibility. The, those three are just key to managing back pain. And, and just get them to, because people with this non-specific back pain, it's often times of stress. I mean, we all know as family physicians, the number of people working account in accountancy offices a month or two before tax filing. Right. It's kind of disproportionately high. And yes. um, they can often feel it coming on, long yeah. hours and tense and customer uh, clients, I guess, phoning in and, you know, when is it going to be ready kind of thing. Probably doesn't help too much. Um, right. That's interesting. What is your feeling I, as a GP? I mean, I try and get uh, people to water exercise. And I, I'm very proud of the fact that I've had, um, persuaded some people to learn how to swim mm -hmm. in their 70s. They took lessons at a leisure center and so forth and, and loved it. Um, so um, do you feel it's a big benefit or, or just an, an, an option, a modest benefit? I think it's a huge benefit and largely because it's not impact, um, you know, you it, back to the, you know, musculature versus the skeletal muscles or versus the skeleton bearing the brunt of the forces swimming takes all that load off of your joints, right. just your low back, but your hips and your shoulders and it's a full body workout and it's exhausting and it works your cardiovascular system and your musculature, and it, if I could get everybody to do, you know, water aerobics and swimming, that would be that would be the number one. And that's another thing that I have to often talk to people about, especially athletes, is, 
you know, I'll have people getting in their 40s and close to 50s and they'll insist on trying to continue to run yeah. and keep throwing their back out. And I say, look, man, you, you've got to stop running because that constant downward jarring is is affecting your spine. And you're, you just have to you have to go to biking or swimming or do an elliptical right. or do weights. But you've got to take that constant pounding off your body. And a lot of people just resist. They say, you don't get it, Doc. I'm a runner. And I say, well, that might be the case, but there's not very many 60, 70, or 80-year-old runners. So at some point, right. we're going to have to transition into that non-impact exercise. Yes. You know you got an issue. Let's do it now. Let's start getting it. You know, Be the best swimmer you can be. I mean, there's, there's nothing shameful about that. It's a great workout. And I completely agree with you. I think if anybody's thinking about doing it and is on the fence, you should take the lead. Yeah, and, and anyone who swims uh, knows you feel completely different after that exercise. You may do more robust exercise if yes. you're sort of young and very motivated and stuff, but you never feel this, uh, quite the same. And I find it's got a definite lift on, on, on mood, sometimes, well, for the whole day or sometimes longer. Yes. So I, I think it's a, a winner myself. Okay. Um, so as pain is often incapacitating um you know, this sort of indicates to the patient the seriousness of this so how do you find they handle hearing because some people are quite close to this i find still that their emotions may have a great deal or may negatively impact it uh which i don't think is a stretch for a lay person because i mean if you tense you tense what's happening to your muscles or if you're anxious Right. But a lot of people like get the, well, I don't know what proportion, but as a sizable number kind of look like, oh, are we going to slant it that way? No, but we're going to get into that because it is relevant, right? Yes, absolutely. I think any level of anxiety or stress um, that is uncontrolled in your life or negativity is always going to exacerbate any kind of pain. Um, you know, and I kind of, I, sometimes I'll give them the reverse explanation. I'll say, you know, think about if you stub your toe, the, your, your, your central nervous system transmits that, that pain up your spinal cord, synapses, goes to your midbrain, synapses to tell you it's your big toe. But there's also a very strong connection that goes to the emotional part of your brain that causes you to have a very angry, negative reaction to that. Mm -hmm. But it's a two-way street. You know, that central nervous system doesn't always, it, it goes up to the brain, but can also go down to the periphery. So any amount of emotional anxiety and tenseness you have is been proven to exacerbate that pain. And if you can do the opposite of that, where you can relieve your anxiety or you can, you know, whether it's through meditation or exercise or proper sleep, it is going to help decrease that pain that they're suffering from and getting people to buy into that. Uh, is you know sometimes challenging, but I agree with you completely. It has a huge impact on how much pain they have. Right, and then of course um, we come to the big one, which is which is huge in any chronic pain is catastrophization. Yes, uh, which yeah, it's, I believe that well, the some psychological uh, studies that have been done has shown that it's like the bulk of the thinking disorders of people in chronic pain, or two-thirds, shall we say, is, is catastrophization alone, probably. I mean, that was put out. I mean, the study quality and that, others yes. can pine on it. But you do see that clinically, for sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and those catastrophizers are the, the first ones to show up to the appointment with the MRI report and the highlights and stars. And, you know, they're freaking out about the two pages of findings on their their report and, and you have to talk them off the wall. And, um, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing is that one of the health systems that I work with in my local community, they actually, on every single lumbar MRI report, publish the statistics at the bottom of the report. If you don't mind, do you mind if I share some of these st statistics with you very quickly? No, I, I would like that because I think it's I just, as you said, it was an excellent idea. Like, why aren't we all doing it? Right. So, so this they 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 put this at every MRI report. It's a system. It's a systemic literature review of imaging, of uh, degenerative symptom of degenerative findings in asymptomatic pe people, and this is from 2015. So, of all the non-symptomatic 30-year-olds out there, 52% have identifiable disc degeneration. Mm. 
by the time they're 40, 68% have identifiable lesions. And at 50, 80% have. Yeah. And at 60, it's 88. And 70, it's 93. Um, of 30-year-olds, 40% have disc bulges that are asymptomatic but identifiable. Oh, and yeah. half of 40-year-olds have disc bulges on their MRI that in asymptomatic people. So it's, it's, again, the catastrophizers need to not read the report. They need to just focus on their symptoms, focus on their mental well-being, and take an active, proactive role in, in managing their back pain. And, and if we can get them out of that mindset, it's a, it's a, it's a much more effective and, uh, and positive long-term strategy for them. Uh, Dr. Z, uh, um, just time for a quick commercial break. You're listening to Healthscape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking to Dr. Carl Zars about back pain. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also The Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you looking for a path to better health rather than just avoiding disease? A good deal depends on your environment and overall behaviors. On Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell, we focus on the daily techniques that can help with chronic pain, addiction, trauma, and disease. You can take a more active approach to taking control of your health and your life. Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell can be heard every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. We're back. You're listening to Healthscape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking to Dr. Carl Zars about back pain. Just another word on catastrophization. I think the name is unfortunate, although it's well-named, if you know know what I mean, because what happens is you normally get kickback from males, you know, the ones who are very competent and self-control and all this. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't like to identify with they would make something bigger than it was. And I try and explain, look, it's not just about the level of pain. It's about what's causing it, where this is going, how it's going to impact your life. And while you're not making it a big deal, you're scoring it as a big deal. And whatever your brain scores as a big deal, you focus on. So guess what? You get more of the same. And if I don't have that conversation, it kind of like, uh, you can see it's not a, it's a kind of a dampener, you know, like this catastrophization. I don't catastrophize. Mm-hmm. We do. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, is the point. Okay, so um, tell us, um, are there any other problems that you find with investigation? We've looked at some of the imaging problems um, or, or not particularly. Uh, what do you, you uh, we know that in, 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 back, um, in back pain, uh, unless there's been trauma, expecting a localized lesion, I mean, ordinary uh, radiographs aren't that useful although they'll be done to show, you know, as a preliminary showing the arthritis and so forth. Um, Is there anything else you would like to mention about testing? Yeah, so when it comes to, you know, one of the most common causes of of chronic low back pain, especially, you know, in the over 40, 50, and 60-year-old, is, as you say, it is arthritis of of the low back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if I get a patient that has done, you know, they're doing everything right. They, they've got their, their, their body weight down, they're engaging in regular exercise, they're working on their flexibility, but they still have this nagging issue of, of axial low back pain, then um, it's typically arthritis or arthritic type changes of the facet joints of the low back. And there is a very effective, you know, treatment for that. Uh, probably one of the most common things we do and it's called a medial branch block and a radiofrequency ablation. Right. So a medial branch block is a, is a diagnostic block that we do where we put uh, local anesthetic on the fibers that innervate those joints. And then we see if the patient gets significant relief. If they get significant relief with that, um, then we're able to go in there with a special needle uh, called a radiofrequency probe and we can actually burn those pain fibers and give them relief for a year to a year and a half. Uh, often those those pain fibers grow back, uh, but then we can just do the ablation, and then they're good to go for you know the the next duration of time. And, it, and if we can get folks to continue to engage in the PT, keep their weight down, and, and stretch, in my experience, the duration of time between treatments does seem to extend uh, to to better effectiveness with each treatment. And I get a ton of patients that ask me, well, how long has this treatment been available? And I, I say, you know, probably 20 years. And they're just shocked. They think everyone's told me there's nothing that can be done about arthritis of the back. And there was nothing that, that, that they could do. Why is it that they didn't know that? And I guess, I guess it's just not well known. I think that, you know, the, surger, you know, the surgical route has been pushed, you know, historically. Mm-hmm. And I think now that people you know, a generation of people that have had surgery and, and had the outcomes that we're talking about, I think there is a much bigger push now uh, for non-surgical options. Uh, so that's something for your listeners to, to look into if they are doing everything right, but they just still have this kind of nagging issue. Uh, that is a really good option. And it's not just for the low back. It can be done in the neck. It can be done in the mid uh, thoracic spine as well. Um, and for some reason, I, I don't I don't have a paper to to support it, but it does seem like like women are more prone to significant facet changes in arthritis of the neck, and men seem to be more prone to these facet changes of of the low back. So, you know, if you're someone that feels like they've done everything right and you're looking for non-surgical options, that's cer- certainly something to look into. It, it's it's very beneficial in a subset of people. Right. Yeah, certainly. And, and and overall, what what sort of um, uh, how big is the role of osteoarthritis say in your practice? It's 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 the bulk of it. I it mean, is, um, is it actually the bulk. Okay, I was, I was wondering. It, absolutely, yeah. Because you know, one of the things you, people don't realize about you know, everyone focuses on the discs, and the discs often aren't causes of of pain. They're not the pain mm-hmm. source. It's the joints themselves. And the discs serve as shock absorbers as well as spacers. So if you look at the spine, if you can imagine that that spacer that once kept a certain amount of space, 
you know, in, in your normal anatomy, as that disc settles, the joint behind it, the facet joint starts to ride on, you know, on top of itself in an abnormal way. So that's often what kicks off those arthritic changes is that the, the disc starts to degenerate. But then as a secondary issue, those facets start to ride on top of one another the way they shouldn't. If your body weight is a little higher than it should be, then there's even more force across it. And then if you're not engaging in that stretching, distracting type motion to pull that spine apart and decompress it, then you get into this cycle and, and ultimately you get the facet arthritis in that area. Okay. Can you walk us through some of the other treatments like inversion and so forth that you may be or may not be using um, in your clinic? Yes. Yes. So I think there's a, there's a handful of really helpful things that patients can use at home. The inversion table is, is definitely one of my favorite uh, items. I have one at home myself. Uh, and it's not only good for, you know, decompressing the low back, it does a great job of pulling your hips and your knees and your ankles. I mean, so many of us are at work either sitting all day or standing all day. And that constant downward force is going to cause your body to remodel in a way that you're less flexible over time, unless you're doing something to pull it in the opposite direction. So I think using an inversion table is a great tool. Uh, what I tell my patients is, you know, start slow, you know, start to where you're inverting maybe at 60 degrees to start with. Uh, just do it for, say, 90 seconds and then take a break. And then maybe only do three sets of 90 seconds to start off with and work your way up slowly. Mm -hmm. But an inversion table is a great way to uh, help manage your back pain, you know, at home. Uh, the second thing I, I really like to push is the TENS unit. Uh, these are relatively cheap now. You can get them for $30 on Amazon and you place a couple of uh, adhesive patches over the area that's bothering you and you turn up the, the, the dial until you start feeling a, a comfortable sensation. When it feels uncomfortable, that's when you should back off. But that does a great job of just, you know, help contracting those muscles a little bit, getting blood flow to the area. I think there's probably some neural confusion that goes on and that, you know, if you're having pain that's just constantly being transmitted from that area, putting on a TENS unit for 10 to 15 minutes can really sort of reset you and, and have you feeling really quite good. Um, I think a foam roller is a huge thing that everybody should have. And, and that's where we, we kind of, uh, you know, have this foam roll and you kind of roll back and forth on whatever uh, problem area you have uh, in your low back or whatever tense area you have. And uh, I found that to, to also be really, really useful. Um, the last one that I like a lot is called a Theracane. And this is sort of a, a curved pla plastic device that if, you know, if you're just in the middle of the day having a spasmed area, you can kind of reach back and get that in there and, and uh, give yourself a little bit of self-massage and muscular release. And, you know, a lot of times I tell people, I'm like, a lot of these pain conditions, if you can just break the cycle when it first starts happening, it's yeah. really worth your effort. A lot of this stuff, if you just keep letting it go and letting it go, then it gets out of control and you're looking for relief. You know, I tell them, take the time to, you know, if you're starting to feel tight, get on that foam roller and, and loosen things up or pull out that Theracane and put it on your, your, your hot spot and, and work it out before it turns into a full-blown spasm that you're needing muscle relaxers and some sort of treatment for. Um, so those are my, those are my four big favorites because they don't require anybody else to help you with it. Yes. And a lot of people live alone and don't have someone that can, you know, get on your neck or your back and massage you or mm -hmm. reduce like that. So, uh, you know, inversion table, Theracane, foam roller, and, uh, the tens unit are, are big ones. And I've got a, a section on my website, drzars.com that, you know, goes, you know, there's a tab dedicated to it. So if, if you want to, you know, if you're, if you're not able to process all this, feel free to go to that. And I have a video and an explanation of it, but they're, they're really underused tools that can really be beneficial for people. Yeah. Um, do you mind just spelling Theracane for our listeners, please? Um, yes, it's P-H-E-R-A-C-A-N-E. Thank you. Yeah. And, and TENS, you know, historically patients have loved TENS, right? Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, people, I, I know at one time, 
colleagues and and myself thought you know like this this is kind of underwhelming but they they do get benefit at um definitely because they'll they'll be kind of critical of other treatments often and they say they they're getting relief from that a question about the inversion do mm -hmm. you feel that you know you get families where it's often um, they're all over six feet or something yep. you know tall people and uh, maybe their posture is not great and that, but it's there's several people in a family. You see that actually, and um, and is is there any kind of preventative aspect from an inversion board? Uh, well, I, mean, I I think that there is. I think that you know I don't I don't can't quote you a study, but I think that anything that allows you to distract your body instead of compress it is beneficial because we have so much uh, just compressive movement in our life, whether it's sitting all day or standing all day. And I just haven't been able to find a stretching routine or, or a tool that can just sort of pull my body apart and allow it to, to um, I mean, I think there's some remodeling that goes on. You know, I think that if, if you're dedicated to it and you're, you're, you know, hanging upside down and distracting your spine and your hips, I think there's got to be some level of joint capsule remodeling that allows for a little more space between the joint, mm -hmm. which should allow for a little more synovial fluid in there. And if we can keep those joint surfaces from touching one another and have a nice fluid layer in there, then, then we're, we're on the right track. So I, I think there is, um, I, I, it's anecdotal but I certainly believe that there, it's preventative for sure. Okay. Well, I, I think also, uh, you know, just sometimes doing it as a good practice, you already going to be more diligent about your back because you, you investing that amount of whatever amount you're putting into it. It's just making you more mindful of your back, your back and investing in your back without yes. getting too hung up or strung up about it. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask now, there's a lot, one hears a lot about, uh, you know, mattresses and insoles and, and uh, you know, obviously there's a plethora of services in this industry as well, pieces mm -hmm. uh, and so. Can you briefly opine, you know, in just generalities, you know, whether it's stuff you recommend necessarily or, or some of, I mean, some of it you recommend, of which you recommend or, um, or are there risks involved? Do you feel, you know, I mean, one always thinks, well, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work, but do mm -hmm. we know that it doesn't actually complicate things? I mean, I either feel we're not sure, right? Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think there's, been, I think the jury's still out on that, but okay. I would say that any, when it comes to mattress and pillows, what I tell my patients is anything that maintains your body in a relatively neutral position is kind of what you should be going for. So if yeah. you lay on your side and your body sags, you know, in a way that's not natural, you can imagine that your joints now are, are sort of in an impingement, you know, position right. for hours at a time. That's, that's, that's not going to be helpful. So when it, whether it's firm or soft kind of depends on the size that you are and, and your body habitus, but when you're laying on that mattress, your your spine should be in a relatively neutral position. It should be relatively straight. When you lay on your side, there shouldn't be a huge sagging. And I think I think that can be beneficial. I also think when it comes to pillows, the same thing with the neck. You know, you shouldn't have a pillow that where you have a steep forward flexion all night. You shouldn't have a position where when you're laying on your side, your your neck is is kinked, you know, hard to the right or left. It should be relatively straight and comfortable. So whatever that is for you is, is, you know, how, how it fits your body is kind of how I, I direct people. But beyond that, I, I think the jury's still out. Yeah, I know the pillow story rings very true, because five years ago, I kind of started for the first time in my life wondering whether it'd be a good idea to take my own pillow to the hotel. Because <laughs> you get these overstuffed jobs that can really oh, yeah. change your day the next day. Um, okay, uh, so the other thing was, um, do you foresee, uh, it's not to stick your neck out or anything, but I mean, obviously conferences and continuing education at your level, is there any kind of major um, improvement in treatment that is foreseeable in the not too distant future? And when you say, when I say not too distant future, like the next decade and a half, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. You know, for a while there was some talk about stem cells being really right. um, sort of a, uh, a very promising treatment. And I, I think that uh, for like tendinopathies and other issues, it's, it's proven to be very beneficial. In the spine, we haven't really gotten very far with it. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the issues is that you know, if you're going to, if you, if you were to use stem cells, let's say for disc disease, you would need to use it quite early because once that disc has degenerated and pancaked, you're not going to regenerate it and, and refill it. So I think that's one of the barriers that we're kind of finding with stem cells in degenerative disc disease is that if we were to use it, it would need to be quite early. Um, and oftentimes we don't see people until far down the road. Um, and then we haven't really used those on the facet joints very much. So, you know, Europe is much more progressive. They're, they're doing more of it. Uh, there was a lot of, of positive chatter about it about four or five years ago. But it, it, that's, that's kind of the barrier that we've, we've run into. And so for that reason is why I'm really passionate about being proactive and understanding your, your issue and that, you know, there might be a great treatment down the road. <laughs> But by far the best treatment is dedicating a segment of your life every day to stretching, core strengthening, and and maintaining a, a lean body mass. And that, that to me, that right now, that's the that's the best option for everybody. Right now, activities wise, um, uh, particularly um, in the male group, because at an, a later age they tend to do more um, uh, more sort of like robust sports sometimes for their body habitus or, or mm -hmm. you know, their build or fitness level. Um, what, what do you caution them to be careful of? Which activities, like, um, I mean, I can imagine ba a basketball wouldn't be a good one, but like yeah. say, yeah. They can play tennis is okay. I mean, is there, are there caveats uh, that you specifically tell them? Or, I mean, if they were to ask you, for example, yeah. I, I played a lot of sports, which ones can I do? Or you know? Yeah. So I, I think that the bottom line is they've got to stay away from high impact activity. But I also, you know, caution, I say, but I'm really, I'm really passionate that you need to engage in resistance exercise. So I try to get every one of my patients to engage in some sort of weight training, um, not, not just for their muscular strength, but for their bone strength. I mean, I have a lot of, especially older women that don't engage in resistance exercise and they have a trip and fall and they break their humerus into five pieces and they're shocked. Um, but you have to, you have to strain your bones in order for them to re remain strong and, and dense. So I always try to encourage them to engage in some sort of uh, weight training, whether that's bands, cables, uh, dumbbells, but that they have to start avoiding the really high impact stuff. So that's going to be jumping running and then CrossFit is probably one of the biggest money makers for my practice ever. You, you've got these uh, guys in their forties or whatever that haven't worked out in a while. They go into CrossFit and they start doing box jumps. And the next thing you know, they, they herniate a disc or blow out an Achilles. So it's yeah. the high impact stuff that they've got to stop doing. A lot of people resist and say, well, I can't get a good workout if I don't, if I don't run or if I don't do, you know, my, my plyometrics, and then I, I challenge them on that. I say, well, why don't you go do a spin class and tell me if that's not hard? I mean, that's one of the most uh, intense workouts out there. Um, I think yoga is another great thing. It, that, that, that's a, a very hard workout. Uh, anything on a, a bike or a stationary bike is great. I'm a big fan of ellipticals as well. You can push yourself you know, quite hard in a, on an elliptical and avoid uh, the impact. And then as we discussed earlier, the swimming is a phenomenal option uh, for anybody and and I, I challenge anybody to tell me they can't get a good workout with swimming if they're not get if they're not breathing hard from swimming, they're not trying hard enough so mm -hmm. it's the high impact stuff they've got to stop doing that uh, it's 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 going to cause injury and there's lots of good options beyond that one of the um things one well i mean whenever anyone's got something wrong in medicine i mean helping to stop well any attempt to stop smoking is helpful and people are often um you know bewildered that you would one would suggest that uh, but obviously it is and it's got to do with what blood supply mostly right yes yes do you find you can persuade them fairly easily to stop smoking 
Uh, you, you know, I, I, I have. I, I think you know, culturally things have changed a lot too. It's sort of become a challenge to be a smoker, um, and everybody knows it's it's bad for you. So um, I've I've had pretty good luck convincing people that they, they need to stop smoking and and it's a worthwhile venue. And if they can replace that urge uh, with some sort of physical activity, that's a that's a double win for them for sure. You know, I tell them if you get those anxiety, like you feel like you need a cigarette. You know, that's the time to get on the elliptical or to get on the the um you know the stationary bike or go for a swim because I guarantee you're not gonna want one after doing it for fifteen minutes. You're gonna feel better and that urge is gonna go away. Right. And then of course the, the cough as well doesn't help if you've been smoking a long a lot a long time, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's also good published evidence that smoking dramatically worsens cervical degenerative disc disease. Um, they, they think that it has to do with the vasoconstrictive effects of the smoking. When, do you know more or less when that study came out? Um, I don't. I oh, don't. That, yeah, I'd have to. I haven't heard that one. Um, yeah, you know, that's one of the ones. I, um, yeah, that's it's, it's good to know. Um, Dr. Z, I want to thank you again for, like your previous talk, very, um, very pertinent, uh, realistic, I call it kitchen table wisdom because it's what people need to hear. It's no, I mean, the, the, the quality is fantastic, but it's also the common sense stuff that will resonate with people. I think that will motivate them to, to just see the common sense in all of this and that the treatments, even for a complicated problem, can be everyday and basic. So I want to really thank you very much for coming again to us and um, and wish you very, all the best. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Much. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Dr. Campbell. You guys have a, have a great night. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. This is your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, um, signing off from Healthscape, where I've been speaking to Dr. Carl Zars about back pain, recurrent, episodic and chronic. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.